Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Alex. A big, literally a big signing for the New York Knicks to end last week. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson is back with the New York Knicks on an extension. We're going to break down the numbers, both in the contract and of his impact on the court. And finally end off talking a little Donovan Mitchell after the big Rudy Gobert trade. What do it cost for the Knicks to get him? Is it even worth it at this point, given how much Rudy Gobert went for? All that next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. And Alex, we are here to talk about a very strange move the New York Knicks made. They signed a center who is often injured, at times overweight, doesn't really have much skill away from the basket to a very large contract. Now, why would they do that, Alex? Why would they do that? <laughs> For those missing out on YouTube, great little uh, great little ode to Brian Winhorst there. The uh, yeah, so so if you're not checking out YouTube, check that. <laughs> check it out just for that little little one there. Uh, yeah, so the Knicks signed Mitchell Robinson. They, they make it official, which as of a few weeks ago didn't seem particularly uh, – uh, likely, I would say, and then sort of started gaining steam as free agency got a little closer, uh, probably because they were able to clear the space for Brunson as easily as they were, so there didn't have to be any casualties. Uh, and Mitch had such a small cap hold to begin with that just kind of made sense, like, you know, keep the cap hold on the books and then give him some money after all the dust settles and you've made all the moves you want to make. They give him a reported four years and $60 million dollars uh, which makes him the seventh highest paid center in the league in average annual value, including Yusuf Nurkic's previous contract, which now Nurk gets paid more than than that, if I'm not mistaken. So, Oh, wait, Alex, sorry, 17th highest paid center. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, then I misheard you. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> at least I think that's what I said. 17th highest paid center in the league. Uh, so what's the what's the deal with the contract is what we haven't, uh, gotten to yet, whether there's a team option at the end, whether it's ascending salary, descending salary, I would hope that it's ascending salary with a team option at the end. Um, I think I saw somewhere uh, our buddy Jeremy Cohen, who's always so on top of these things, had someone inform him there can't be any like unlikely bonuses in this because you can only put those bonuses in contracts that you sign using purely cap space, where the Knicks, when they made this when they officially end up making the signing, will be operating as an over-the-cap team uh, because of spending their cap space on Jalen Brunson and Isaiah Hartenstein. So the, there can't be any like you know minimum amount of games played bonuses or 
oh, if you make a all defense team or something, you get an extra X million dollars, whatever the case may be. Uh, so I think that it's it's going to roughly uh, work out like just a normal contract and uh, hopefully with a team option on the end. That seems to be the Knicks MO. But Gavin, I think the, the pertinent questions here are like, can he still get better? And is he going to – I don't know if stay healthy is the right word because he actually was surprisingly healthy this year as far as being able to be on the court but clearly was working through some issues with getting back in shape. Um, I think we did see towards the end of the year he did get back in shape off that broken foot, uh, but he clearly put on way too much beef last offseason uh, and should have probably been <laughs> focusing a little less on on getting huge uh, and, and more on just kind of keeping his cardio where it needed to be as much as he could. So I hope that his offseason priorities are a little different this year. Uh, but that said, I, I was really encouraged by what we saw at the end of the year. Uh, I think that, you know, if he goes into this offseason thinking, okay, last year I saw like getting some strength was great for my rebounding, but I clearly need to be, you know, faster, better leaping, all that stuff. If he can nail that down and make that his focus this offseason, as far as, you know, just physical uh, workouts go, then maybe we see uh, finally the perfect like fusion Mitch next year of, you know, all the strength that he gained from getting and turning into beefy Mitch last year, but then all of the fluidity of previous Mitch, which was the, you know, the lanky kid in his first couple of years. Um, and, and, you know, maybe he can sort of regain the best of both worlds there if that's what he focuses on this off season. Yeah. I mean, to me, the the bet that the Knicks are making with this contract is that, Mitchell Robinson doesn't need to get that much better to live up to it or for it to be tradable down the road if the Knicks need to go that direction. And and there's certainly an argument for that, right? Because as we always say with Mitch, his strengths are really, really strong. He led the NBA in effective field goal percentage again this season. That is far from the norm uh, for him. Obviously, a couple of years back, he set the all-time field goal percentage record for a single season. Um, he, was, he was essentially the best offensive rebounder in the entire NBA, uh, he was second in offensive rebounds per game, um, and he was second in offensive rebound percentage with different players being first in those two categories. Um, his uh, Over the last three seasons now, um, the Knicks are in the – or Mitch, I guess, is in the 90th percentile in terms of how the Knicks improve their offensive rebounding when he's on the court relative to when he is not on the court. Um, he anchored uh, down the stretch last season, uh, post-All-Star break, what was the top three defense the year before that. He anchored what was a top five defense, and I would argue was uh, the single most important piece um, each of those two years. And I think it wasn't coincidental, to your point, that the Knicks got significantly better defensively as he found his health and his footing when it when it just looked, I mean, I, like it's easy to forget. It, it, feel, it's, it, it is literally less than a year ago. I don't know about you. It feels like 10 years ago to me where we were watching Mitch like stumble around the court and just look like slow and and indecisive and and to your point, overweight and like constantly in and out of the lineup with injuries to start this past season. I mean, because the guy we saw down the stretch was someone who when he was playing inferior competition, a center that physically did not match up with him, he dominated them. And that was especially on the offensive end, not something we got from him with any kind of consistency early in his career. And I think the added weight Alex certainly gave him the confidence to go and do that. The issue was it, it simply wasn't there on a night-to-night basis. I thought this was a pretty good stat um, from Jonathan Macri. In in 19 of his 62 starts this season, he ended up playing less than half the game, or less than half the game 
And, and that was that was due to a variety of reasons, right? A, a lot of nights it was it was simply because he couldn't stay on the floor and, and, and couldn't stay healthy. And it, it wasn't really free throw or foul issues like it used to be early in his career. It was more so little nicks and bruises and him seemingly finding a way to – I mean, it sucks because it's not his fault, but seemingly finding a way to take a bad spill game in and game out. And I thought that stat was particularly egregious just because the Knicks didn't really have a great option at backup center last year with Nerlens Noel um, consistently uh, out of the lineup. So I guess all that is to say this is a guy with a ceiling that is still very, very impressive and a floor that is still kind of scary and, and and very low. And I think his value is contingent, one, on the shooting around him, which doesn't look very good in the starting lineup right now. And, and two, to your point, just his ability to be in optimal condition because I don't know about you, and I'll, I'll throw this to you to, to give a response on, but I, I really have zero faith at this point that he's going to make any significant changes um, as an offensive player um, in his career. Yeah, I don't think he will necessarily either, though I don't think that he necessarily needs to. You know, I think that there is a world where he can just end up like, and, and there would be nothing wrong with this from, you know, a, a top 10 pick in the second round where he could just end up like Clint Capella, you know, where he's a rebounding beast. He doesn't miss lobs maybe develops just like the smallest of baby hooks around the inside, which I think Capella is sort of, you know, he's he's developed just enough within five feet of the hoop that, you know, he could throw something a little different at you than just a dunk at this point. I think Mitch could potentially add that. I do worry a bit about, you know, and this has always been a concern with me of the, the who's running his offseason, you know, workouts, because it seems like every – I shouldn't say every year, almost every year. Uh, last year, actually, 2021, I thought that he came into the year in the right shape and having focused on the right things, and he looked great uh, to start 2021, I think, before he ultimately had those two freak injuries that kept him out uh, for most of that season. But, you know, I feel like a lot of times he's he's come in and, you know, had issues early on with, with uh, you know, getting – maybe not in shape because a lot of times, you know, he seemed like he was in fine shape last year was the only year that that was a huge issue. But where you question, like, what were you working on all summer? <laughs> like, you know, there's all these videos of you like crossing up high schoolers and, you know, hitting step back threes on them. And it's like, why were you working on that instead of working on like I, the things that I want to see Mitch work on this year? And maybe we can talk about this more in the next segment, as far as some of the statistical evidence of how honestly still for all these faults, we're saying how good he's been. Um, but like, I want to see him work on setting harder screens. Cause like, you've got all this mass now stop, like, you know, pulling out of every screen the second before the guy impacts you, like you can, you could take a hit now from whatever Marcus smart or whoever you're setting a screen on, like, you know, you're, you're a large bulking man now. Uh, and then also just the, what you mentioned with the, the, you know, the nasty spills every game he was throwing his body around so much, you know, it's just like you got to at a certain point realize that you're seven foot one with a plus wingspan. You can just kind of be straight up and down by the hoop. And that's enough to scare people. And, you know, don't worry about getting the block. Don't worry about coming out of nowhere to try to, you know, block a guy and, and prevent, you know, the, the bucket that way, like just kind of make yourself big and, and hold your position down low like that. And that should be enough, hopefully to, you know, deter guys around the rim and not make you have to, jump around and, you know, potentially end up having it. I, essentially what it looked like was that he would just bail out all the time and then end up falling on his hip or his knee or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I could appreciate as a big man, if you feel like your ankle's about to turn or something, you just bail out and just fall on your butt. 
uh, you know, and, and just deal with that consequence rather than a turned ankle. But he also had to deal with some turned ankles and stuff last year too. So not ideal. Um, but yeah, Gavin, I, I think we can get into the statistical case more in a minute uh, and also eventually get to the Donovan Mitchell rumors. But uh, do you want to tell everybody about betonline.ag real quick and maybe a, a couple other uh, likely or unlikely options the Knicks could trade for? Yeah, because I'd love to. Uh, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And they remain your best spot for odds on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's next team. The uh, three favorites for Kevin Durant – the Phoenix Suns, Miami Heat, Toronto Raptors. If I were to take a, a dark horse there, I think I would go with the New Orleans Pelicans at 6-1. to one. Brandon Ingram, I would say one of the better centerpieces that's actually available from any team in the NBA. And the Pelicans also have a surplus of first-round picks. With the Lakers, uh, they have some good young players in your Herb Joneses and Dyson Daniels. To me, they have a package to put together, and they have a, the incentive to put it together, um, potentially uniting uh, KD with uh, Zion Williamson for Kyrie. Uh, the leading odds are the Lakers. Next up are the Knicks at 5-1. to one. We all know that's not going to happen. The Lakers, I think, are maybe the only team worth putting money on. But Alex, as you point out to me pre-show, the Dallas Mavericks at 8-1. to one. Uh, little little bit of intrigue there. Um, you, he would make a lot of sense in Dallas um, in, in, in as much as he would make sense anywhere. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and scores, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action bet online where the game starts. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. And to your point, uh, the statistical case on Mitchell Robinson, to me, it really centers a lot around who he is playing with, right? Um, he is because just just by the nature of his game, he is not someone who self-creates offensively. He is a rim runner and a second chance maven. And in turn, uh, he functions a whole lot better with high level point guard play and a spread floor. Uh, he will easily be playing with the best point guard or at least the best starting point guard of his career. Obviously, I, I thought Derrick Rose was was a big boon for him. Um, except with the way Tom Thibodeau does lineups, those two have seen uh, very limited minutes together uh, over the past two seasons with the additional caveat of Rose's injury last year where he only played uh, 23 games, if I remember correctly. But getting to play with Jalen Brunson, Alex, I think could transform his life. Brunson is a fantastic lob passer. He is extraordinarily good at getting into the lane. And while not being an exceptional passer in general, I think the spots he gets to on the floor will lend himself lend him yeah lend himself very well to setting up Mitchell Robinson in that he gets to the basket and has this great sense of space and an ability to manipulate a defense around a rim where he can string together multiple moves and throw passes through really tight crevices and I could see that getting Mitch an extra four points per game right from the start I know that's a big number but he, he's just going to have Easier shot on easier shots. The other big thing that I'm looking for is if Tom Thibodeau is willing to switch it up a little bit, pull Mitchell Robinson a bit early compared to the rest of the starters and get Isaiah Hartenstein some time with the starters and get Mitchell Robinson some time with the bench. I think because Hartenstein is such a good passer and at least compared to Mitch, 
a relatively good shooter. We noted it um, when we were talking about the Hardenstein signing, but he's one of the elite scores at the center position in the NBA from the four to 14 feet range. He showed off a little bit of three point range last season in limited sample. I think that would be a better fit, especially if the Knicks are going to keep Julius Randle and RJ Barrett versus the bench that is potentially loaded with shooters, whether it's Evan Fournier or Quentin Grimes there, um, Emmanuel Quickly, and Obi Toppin, who at this point I'm honestly more confident in as a shooter than Julius Randle, or at the very least does more stuff off the ball that you have to pay attention to him. And that combined with the passing of the second unit, his chemistry with guys like Derek Rose and Quickly, I think would make Mitch a really good fit. And I'll, I'll just throw two quick numbers your way, Alex, before getting your thoughts on that. He was plus 14.2 last season in 219 minutes playing with Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly. Of course, everyone had a major positive playing with Emmanuel Quickly, but that number still stood out to me. An early season lineup of Rose, IQ, Burks, who's obviously not here anymore, Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson was plus 19.6 per 100 possessions. And I think Mitch's athleticism does a lot to take away whatever the bench lacks in terms of length defensively. Um, and offensively, he's just such a clean fit with those guys. They're such good passers and, and generally have much better spacing. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see, you know, him with Brunson. I think that because of the way that Brunson plays, and I mean, I know that he's he's different from IQ in the sense that IQ is more of a pull-up shooter uh, and, you know, Brunson is more of a guy that thrives on – it's like IQ is a quarterback that is pass-happy uh, but doesn't go to the run as often. Whereas Brunson is like, you know, an NFL offense that uses the run to set up the pass. Like he's, he's all about getting inside first and then shooting outside later more so. And so, you know, they're different in that respect, but I mean, Brunson, but with Brunson and IQ and I guess Derek Rose too, as long as the Knicks are keeping him on the team, like Mitch is by far going to have his best like contingent of point guards that he's had in his whole time in the NBA. And I mean, Brunson was able to make uh, Dwight Powell look pretty good as far as a, uh, a, a, you know, lob threat and everything. And I don't generally get the best vibes off how, like, Mavs fans and stuff feel about him uh, in, in general, usually, when it comes to that team. So I, I like the potential fit uh, with Mitchell Robinson there. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to look with Brunson. And if maybe some of those great bench numbers can finally start playing out with the the starting offense a little bit but to your point it would probably be nice too I mean I don't know we've seen in the past and I think it would be really hard to justify this at this point but we've seen in the past where the Knicks have had like token starters uh in the the starting lineup which maybe that could be Hartenstein now uh just because of skill set but where he gets you know I don't know 18 minutes or something and Mitch gets like 30 uh, at the the rest of the minutes for the center, but you stagger Mitch more with the bench unit. But the problem is, like you said, Tibbs doesn't stagger. So, you know, wanting him to stagger, uh, you know, Hartenstein and Mitch so that their their skill sets fit better with, you know, the, the various units is probably just a, a foolish dream to have because we know that he's just going to spend his one to two minute window making sure that he changes everything over like a hockey shift and then, you know, get everybody, uh, you know, in there to, to fully change out the starters with the bench every time. So I don't know. We'll see how that all works out. I do like the fit with Brunson though. I do think, I actually think that the starting lineup probably has slightly better spacing than it did last year at this particular moment, because I think Brunson 
is a good enough uh, three-point shooter that it's going to work out pretty well. I'm hoping that RJ is going to have somewhat of a bounce-back year as far as shooting the ball because he won't have to self-create quite as much. Um, Randall, if he's still on the team, I hope can recover a bit in that regard as well. But Evan Fournier literally just set the the Knicks three-point record. I don't see him getting any worse. And Grimes is also really good in his own respect if he takes the starting job. So I don't know. I think the spacing should be okay. I, at least I'll say it this much. Like, I don't think it could possibly be any worse. And I think the Bronson will be a much better playmaking fit for Mitch. Gavin, though, before we before we move to the Mitchell thing, I'm, I'm just curious where you stand. So the Charlie Ward curse has come up in regards to Mitch. He's the first Nick draft pick to sign a substantial second contract with the team. David Lee signed the qualifying offer uh, after his first contract. Uh, Nate Robinson, I looked, I, I could have swore that he signed a qualifying offer or something too for a fifth year. Nope, he just won like three dunk contests in four years with the Knicks. Uh, other than that, there's been nobody really close uh, to signing a second contract with the Knicks off their rookie deal. Where do you stand with, I, this became like a whole debate on Twitter and whatever of like, did Mitch break the Charlie Ward curse? My interpretation is basically like, I think if you want to think that this was the breaking of the Charlie Ward, cur- Ward curse, you're more than welcome to. If you think that it's going to be when RJ signs his deal, since he was a first round pick and will actually be an extension rather than just a second contract, then you could think that too. I just thought it was so funny to see this like discourse and people trying to act as if there's like a rule book on this whole thing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I think my my take is I don't care that much. Um, yeah. I think it's it look it, like it matters in the sense that it's insane that it took almost 30 years for that to happen. And is a, that I would say is like the single defining statistic of what's been wrong with the Knicks. I mean, especially obviously in the late 90s, the Knicks were pretty good despite that. But the last two decades uh that's they they haven't built sustainably and and they and it for everyone who is not happy with the current direction of the team which i know is is not a crazy amount of people but definitely a a vocal minority and and us sometimes like that tells you if nothing else things are a lot better than they've happened and maybe maybe that shouldn't be our standard and we'll see what this front office continues to do but the fact that Mitch is coming back. The fact that RJ will probably get an extension. I mean, who knows how those things work out, but it just tells you that the process is significantly better than it has been in a long time. So I think that's what I care about versus whether or not the curse has explicitly been broken. But for my take, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say when, when RJ signs his extension and then we can, we can officially call it. I think I'm just going to look back on this off season and be like, the curse was broken twice. <laughs> it was broken by go. Mitch for second rounders. And RJ for first rounders. Boom. There you go. There's the answer right there. Because it seems pretty obvious that RJ is going to get an extension, which we'll be talking about, I think, later this week. But in our next segment, we're going to be talking about Donovan Mitchell reacting a bit to the Rudy Gobert trade. That was huge over the weekend. Uh, What that means for the Knicks potential, uh, you know, pursuit of Donovan Mitchell and how much it might cost at this point. But I just got to remind everybody, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You guys know the drill. If you've ever shopped for auto parts like me in one of those those brick-and-mortar stores, you go in. There's a guy at the counter. He seems thoroughly uninterested in helping you with anything because he wants to just sit there on his computer. But then you ask him, hey, do you have this part for my car? And then they start asking all these questions and they tell you they don't have the part in stock. Of course they don't because like the store is like 20 square feet. 
And how could they possibly have anything other than like windshield wipers and touch up paint? Uh, and then, you know, they tell you, you're going to have to pick it up at their store in a couple of days when they get it from their warehouse. And then you get the price tag and you're like, oh my goodness, this is so much money. Like, didn't I get a quote from a mechanic for like just slightly more than this just a couple of days ago because they're charging you more than what they're charging mechanics. And yeah, it's just overall not a fun experience, right? You get, you have to deal with sticker shock. You have to deal with getting asked annoying questions. You could ditch all that and just go to rockauto.com. It is the best website to go to. You can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from that chain store or ugh, a car dealership? Rock Auto is also a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics. They're going to give you the same deal as anybody else and Quite frankly, if you're a mechanic and you're listening to this, maybe check out rockauto.com as well. You can save yourself a lot of trips to that uh, auto parts store and just get stuff delivered right to your doorstep instead of having to drive out and grab stuff all the time. So head to rockauto.com right now and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to get something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, Gavin, we're going to get into the the jazz stuff now maybe this is maybe this is really the the time to channel our inner brian windhorst so you know the 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 timberwolves they traded for rudy gobert and they gave up five first round picks why would they do that gavin why would they do that and first off what what even happened why don't we introduce the news (laughs) okay yeah so um yeah this was uh I would say a, a, a league-shaking trade. Maybe that's that's grandiose, but um, we were ta- getting into this pre-show. It is league-shaking, I think, in that it sets the bar for future star trades. And Rudy Gobert, who I would say, uh, partially because we'd get fired if we said anything else, but is inarguably a star, um, but I would argue an overpaid one and a very flawed one, whose impact is inarguably significantly less in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. And he is a center moving into his 30s. There is very little track record of centers in the NBA aging gracefully into their 30s in recent history. Um, And yet the package for Rudy Gobert was Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, two players who can help you in right now. And then recent first round picks, Leandro Bolmaro, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, who low-key, one of the better role players in the NBA last season. Maybe that's that's too much to say for a guy who literally just cannot shoot the basketball, but he is just an insane defender and rebounder. And then uh, hold your breath, Alex. First-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, all of them unprotected. Uh, a 2026 first-round pick swap and then a protected first-round pick, I believe is only top three protected, in 2029. So one of the biggest trade packages of all time for a quite flawed player and arguably, I would, I would say not so much, not Utah's best player. I would say that is uh, despite a, a subpar postseason performance, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, I would still say that is Donovan Mitchell. And in turn, that would complicate uh, your New York Knicks pursuit of Donovan Mitchell. The initial reports out of Utah were that the Jazz want to reform their team around Mitchell and are not interested in trading him. Of course, if you wanted to trade Mitchell, that is the report that you would put out either way. Um, and uh, Essen-wise, I was going to say our Oni and Begley because I feel like he's 
he he does he does his work on behalf of all Knicks fans, but technically works for SNY. Um, he put out an article, and he said uh, to that point, there is some skepticism about Utah's long-term plans in the wake of the Gobert trade. Several teams still view Mitchell as attainable for the right return. People in touch with the Knicks prior to the draft said the club was wary of trading the combination of picks and players. We, we know now that would be a lot that it would take to land a player like Mitchell. The thinking, according to people in touch with the club at the time, is that there wouldn't be enough left on the roster to field a contending team. Alex, I don't know about you. That is a, a assessment that I very much agree with. And look, to some extent, at a certain point, we I, I keep saying this, there's never going to be the perfect star deal, right? There's never going to be the perfect star out there. You, you sometimes just have to go get the guy and then figure it all out later. The issue for the Knicks is, I would argue, like, you make a trade like the Gobert trade. Um, this is a point Bill Simmons made, and I was, I was right there with him, uh, despite some of his bad takes over the recent weeks. You make a trade like that, right, when it, when it puts you into championship contention. I would very much argue the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be one of the eight or so best teams in the NBA. I'd say they're a couple big injuries away or, or a massive jump from Anthony Edwards away from championship contention. The Knicks trade, uh, I don't know, let's just say Emmanuel quickly – Obi Toppin, four first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell. I would say they are light years away from championship contention. I don't know if they're one of the four best teams in the Eastern Conference after making that kind of deal. So they're not even in that stratosphere. And in turn, I don't think the deal really makes a whole lot of sense, especially when you're looking at a star who, as we said, is only a one-way player at this point. And sure, he still has potential on the defensive end. That's why he was drafted out of Louisville. He is a spectacular offensive talent, make no mistake about it. But for the for the package that they would require and not an obvious second superstar on the horizon to pair with him, I would hesitate to make the kind of deal that uh, it would take to bring Donovan Mitchell to New York. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there too. I mean, I think if, I first off, I think Utah got a freaking haul for Rudy Gobert, and I understand he's a three-time DPOI and all that stuff, and makes a huge impact on the court. But I question how that team is going to work in Minnesota a little bit. I think that they're probably if they're if they had a a blueprint, they're probably looking at it saying, "Oh, we can run like an idealized like all-star, all-NBA version of like the the Cleveland front court, except for like." You know, yeah, okay, Jared Allen to Rudy Gobert, I think you get an upgrade there. But, like, Cat, huge upgrade, obviously, on offense, but he does not have the defensive versatility that, like, Evan Mobley does. So I'm really curious to see how that is going to work out on the defensive end and how much uh, how much Gobert is going to have to be cleaning up messes there, especially with D'Angelo Russell at point guard, who's not a great, uh, you know, defensive guy. And, uh, you know, Edwards, I mean – Maybe the jury's still out a little bit. I think he's he's pretty good two way, but you know it's I, I I don't know. I feel like Gobert's not going to a much better defensive situation than the one he was just in. Uh, we'll see if maybe the offense overrules that. But yeah, they basically have to be good now. You know, they have to be a contender at this point. And you know, I think at the very least to make this deal worth it over the life of Gobert's contract and the life of Gobert's time in Minnesota, they're going to have to like at least make a couple Western conference finals or something like to even start entertaining that this is worth it. You know, I understand championships can't be everything, 
you know, because there's only so many teams that win championships. And yeah, now it's real quick to that point. This is, we're talking about a team that's made the second round once in 33 years. I think that was the point yeah. that was kind of coming out of Minnesota, like the expectation or, or just to, to change what it means to be a Timberwolves fan in, in the franchise. Like that, that is the only thing to me that like, I'm like, all right, I can kind of see why they'd want to do something like this. Yeah. And I mean, we ironically saw like Pat Beverly who got sent out in this deal celebrating as if, like the T-Wolves had won a championship after winning a, a play-in game, which, you know, hey, more power to him. Like, it was a it was a big win. It was emotional for him because it was against his former team, the Clippers. But, yeah, you know, it's it's sort of like the Knicks standards with, you know, with the T-Wolves. The it's like, if you, if you just make a, West, a couple Western Conference finals or something, you're in good shape as far as fan, uh, you know, appreciation goes. But... If things go belly up, they're they're really screwed. I mean they they don't have any of their own draft picks going forward, really, uh, all the way through the end of the decade, basically. So they basically need the the last eight years of this decade to go very much in their favor here. Um, so we'll we'll see how that all goes. As far as the Knicks, though, like I I agree, they're not. You know, I think Mitchell, for as good as he is, I don't, I don't know that he's like a Durant. You know what I mean? Like if I was the Knicks and I was gonna go after someone super hard, I might go after like Durant more than I would go after Mitchell if I'm going to be giving up that big of a compensation package because I think Mitchell is more like the finishing piece. He's not like the starting piece, you know, that you bring in to, you know, compliment a star that you, or sorry, to that you bring in to be the star and then still need to add compliments to. Um, he's sort of like the guy that is the compliment that you want to finish your team off with, like, I don't know what sort of package they're going to put together or whatever, but Miami would make a lot of sense in that regard. Um, as far as, you know, they already have Jimmy Butler in place. They already have Bam out of bio and stuff like that. Uh, so they would make a ton of sense. There are other teams like that. So much I hate to say it because I would love to see Mitchell on the Knicks for a reasonable deal, but there's just not any deal out there where I look at it and say, this makes the Knicks good enough that I can feel comfortable like the Timberwolves in giving up that many picks because I can feel that certain that the Knicks will at least be a high seed playoff team for these number of years and that those picks aren't going to turn into like top 10 picks or something. Um, so we'll see how it all goes. Uh, hopefully the Knicks show some restraint. I think they are going to. Sounds like from Begley's report and elsewhere that, you know, the Knicks are in no rush to make this big deal. They just got their guy in Brunson in free agency. Sounds like they're very into their young guys. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see a Julius – uh, trade come up sooner than we would see them trying to, you know, make a big swing for a star to add to like Julius, RJ and Brunson. Uh, because I just don't, I, I think the team is smart enough to realize that, you know, that that team is not going to be a contender. And, you know, if we're, even if we're just using conference finals as a, the measuring stick, I don't even know that the Knicks could confidently say like, yes, we'll make an Easter conference finals or two in the time that we have Donovan Mitchell. And if you can't even guarantee that much, then I, I don't think it's a move worth making, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm 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 hundred percent with you. I think it would again, if, if the package weren't projected to be so prohibitive, like you if, if you're talking more like something for DeJounte Murray, like obviously they traded Gallo, it's like it was gonna be a little bit more than that, but like one good young player, like even even if it was quickly, who we love obviously, and, and three first round picks, you could you could talk me into that. What it's actually going to be, there's no way because there's just there's no guarantee that the ceiling of that team is is anything close 
to what you would need it to be to justify. And I guess I guess that's that's the point at the end of the day. Um, and with that, we can wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. The Charlie Ward curse is broken. Maybe either way, I think we're both pretty content with the deal that Mitchell Robinson got. And uh, yeah, we'll have uh, plenty of more fantastic content for you guys throughout the week. A couple guests, some summer league recaps, uh, all that, a whole lot of fun. We'll talk to you soon on Locked On Knicks.